that's going to be it. But um, immediately after church, some, I think, are leaving right from church and heading to Sacramento. To those of you who didn't know that uh, we're not having service here tonight, we're having service in Sacramento, and I don't know the address of the church, but we'll get it to you, and then you can punch it into maps, or if you got Siri or whatever it is, and it'll take you right there. So we have our choir is going to be singing and ministering, and what's the name of the church? Brother Nathan Dennis, what is it? Compass? Compass Church, and that's in Sacramento, uh, and it's on, I believe it's, it's on uh, Real Linda Boulevard, right? So anyway, it's about two, eh, a little over two hours, so they're going to get started right after church, and then at five o'clock, the service is at five, so if you're going, make sure that you have time um, to get there before five o'clock, so it's about two, two and a half hours, depending on how you drive. And so we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. You know, it's just like it's almost one of those uh, special events that we do at the, with the church now. And, and we're so uh, proud of our singers. And, and they're not just going to sing. They're going to minister and take the word of God. And we've done this several times now. It's just a, just a great blessing. And so if you come tonight, the doors will be locked. So I just want to let everybody know. We're not closing down church. We're just having it in Sacramento tonight. Amen. God bless you. I want to go again to our subject that we've been on for a little bit, and that is about the seven signs of Jesus. And so we are working in the book of John and uh, about the sixth chapter again. And now you might say, well, there are more than seven signs that Jesus did in the book of John, and there is. But they're calling these the major signs, the great signs. And uh, this segment of Scripture, again, they're calling from the uh, first chapter, 18th verse, to the 12th chapter, they're calling the book of signs. So the, the many, many things happen there, but, but uh, we're pointing out these seven and and we may talk about some of the other signs that Jesus did also. But we are at the fifth sign. Okay, we came to the first sign. And if you didn't get that, then we went to the second sign. And if you didn't get the second sign, we stopped at the third sign. And then we stopped at the fourth sign. And so we're stopping. I, I think there are stop signs. There are places to stop. And really think. So we're at the fifth sign, and we'll find that in the book of John, the sixth chapter. And the I want to read from the 17th verse to the 20th verse. From the 17th verse to the 20th verse. And entering into the boat, they were going across the sea to Capernaum. And darkness already occurred, and Jesus had not come to them. And the sea was aroused by a great wind blowing. Then having rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And having come near to the boat, they were afraid. 
But he said to them, I am. Do not fear. He said to them, I am. Do not fear. We're going to work on this this morning. I, I just believe there's some, there's some real good things in here that, Lord, just maybe you have exhausted this portion of Scripture and this story, uh, this event that happened already. Maybe you've already been through it. And, but there's always something. And I've read the Bible through, I'm sure now, I don't know how many times, but the New Testament especially over and over. And I never can ever get into it that I don't find something that I didn't, you know, didn't see before. And God is that way. Can you say amen? So the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, I also want to add to this this morning. In the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in the second verse, it will, it will lead us in a perfect direction. It's the perfect direction for this church. It's the perfect direction for the church of Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author, and really the word there is looking into. Not just looking at him or on him, but looking into. We get a little deeper than just the visual, right? Looking into Jesus, the author. He's not only just the author, but the founder, the beginner and the builder, and then the finisher of our faith. And so we're going to look at him this morning again. Would you just pray with me and honor him? Jesus, we just come before you, Lord. Your word is so powerful. Lord, and, and this is something you've written down a long time ago. Men have preached this. People have talked about this. Millions have read it. Lord, over the ages, it's been a staple and a stronghold of who you are. So I pray this morning, Lord, you just open it even greater to us in understanding to glorify you and bring you glory, Jesus. And we do it in your name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Again, I like to just kind of rehearse this just a little bit. Signs 1, 2, and 3 were, they were all enacted by the sound of his voice. What he commanded, what he said. Um, then last week, we talked about the bread. And I said this, that he not just spoke, but he had his hands and his handprints all over it. And I really enjoyed as we broke the bread last week. And, and just, you know, beautiful thing. The sign was not just bread for 5,000, but the sign was the connection of Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. And it was always typical of him. He took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it. And we did that last week. And I, and I so just, you know, in the connection of really who he is, the, the Lord's Supper is not a disconnection. The Lord's Supper is a connection of who he is. And we took that bread. Wasn't that wonderful? Can you say amen? And we honored him and his death. This fifth sign, walking on water. He had his handprints on the bread. 
he'll have his footprints on the water. So he had a speaking, three speaking miracles. You know, was the turning the water into wine, whatever he says unto you, do it. Then a healing of the, the, the man who had a son that was sick, and he spoke it. And then the pool of Bethesda, where he told the man, take up your bed and walk. And these were all speaking miracles. Now he puts his hands on the bread. Now he will put his feet upon the water. This is such an interesting concept of, of, of Christ. And, and why did he do this? And this is why it's called a sign, because it, it wasn't accidental. It wasn't just something to fill in the pages of the book. But this thing was done as a sign, and, and let me read to you again, and every week I come with it, just a little bit of a tweak on the definition of a sign. A sign is a distinguishable imprint left on an incident so that it's evident who's responsible for the sign. In other words, that distinguishable imprint shows who left the sign. And this particular sign, those men that were in the boat that wrote about it, and in three Gospels, we have this written, all four Gospels, but the three Gospels, Matthew was in the boat. Peter was in the boat, and Mark wrote in place of Peter. And then John was in the boat when this event happened. And all of these Gospels write about this, and, and what a glorious story. I'm, I've seen some things in my life, and I know you have too, and some things impressed me. The things that impress you the most are probably what you're going to remember when you get old. The day-to-day -day things you don't think about too much. The average things, just stuff that you do in life, you know, maybe working every day. You, you don't really remember too much of that. But, but those incidents which impress you, there's something special, something out of the ordinary happens in your life, and that's the thing that you will remember. And I know when you get older that you begin to experience that. And a lot of people do uh, a review, you know, kind of of their life. And the things that you remember aren't just the common day, everyday things. There's some stuff in your life that has impressed you. It's, in fact, many times has, has changed you, changed your outlook, changed your view, changed your focus. And I believe these men in the boat... This is something that I don't think you could ever forget. This experience is one that, that is so powerful. It's such a miracle. I mean, it defies all of nature. It defies the laws of nature. And so let's talk about this story just a little bit, and then we'll, then we'll go from there about the sign. This happened in between what we spoke last week. He fed the 5,000, and then he spoke about, I am the bread of life. But this incident happened between the time which he fed the 5,000 and when he spoke to them about, I am the bread of life. And this, this little event is sandwiched right in there. So what happened was the Lord had fed the 5,000. He had broken the bread. He had given to them. What a great, fantastic miracle had happened. 
and now they wanted to make him king because they hadn't seen anything like this before, and this just seemed so miraculous to them. And they went, Jesus said, he knew that they desired to make him the king, so what did he do? He went up in the mountain by himself. His disciples, now if you read in all of the Gospels, not just in John, he had told them, go ahead and go to the other side and go back to Capernaum. Capernaum was hometown where he had his ministry out of. And so the disciples get in a little boat, and they are heading out to Capernaum. But on the way, the wind begins to come up. And I think probably why God caused the wind to come up is that that he's got to put them in a place, in a holding place, in a stopping place, to show them a sign and a miracle. And sometimes God's got to put us in a stopping place. Can you say amen? It's, it's sometimes in the middle of our distress, right, that we really stop and say, God, now I need to see you in this thing. Sometimes if, if God just lets it go and, and uh, we just, you know, go along and nothing ever happens, then we don't ever stop and really see what God is trying to do in our life. And so sometimes God allows an affliction. Sometimes God allows a problem. Sometimes he allows us to, to uh, lose a job. Sometimes he allows us to get in a financial bind. Sometimes he allows us to be sick in the bed. And I think he wants to show us, right, there's a stopping place in our life. And so the disciples get out there, and it looks like they're going down. I mean, they are rowing, and they're getting nowhere because the Lord has stopped them right there. He wants to show them something that they're going to need to know and that they'll see for the rest of their life. Those men that are in that boat will be impacted by what happens to such a place that I believe their faith will grow and grow in the Lord. So here they are. They're toiling and getting nowhere, and then, and then all of a the sudden they see they see something. They don't know that it's the Lord, but they see something coming to them on the water. Now, I'm not out on the water very much, and I'm not out there at night. But if I saw something walking on the water towards me, I believe I would react like these men reacted. They cried out in fear. (laughs) These are tough, salty fishermen guys. They're not easily scared. They've been out on this lake or Sea of Galilee so many times. They know all about it, but they have never seen what's happening this time. They've been in some storms. They've been in some problems out there, but they made it out, and this time they, they're, they're afraid. They're in a bad place, and now they see what they think is, and the Scripture says they see a phantom coming at them, a phantom. That would be a spook, a ghost, a spirit. Now, I don't know. It's dark. They probably have some kind of light on the little boat. And I don't know if they can see maybe the moon is shining, and here comes this spirit walking on the water towards them. 
And one of the gospels says, and he would have gone by them. He would have gone by them. But they cried out in fear. And now the Lord stops and he says to them, he says to them, be comforted. I am. I am. Be comforted. And so, man, I'll tell you what, that, that's a pretty good comfort when I'm in the middle of a storm and the Lord comes walking on my water and, and, says, and says, be comforted, I am. Don't be afraid. How many of you have been afraid a few times? You've been in some stuff. And it didn't look like that you were, your, your boat was going to make it out of the storm. But the Lord walked into it. Can you say amen? Amen. I think about Sister Debbie just a few months ago. It looked like she was in a storm that all many people didn't make it out of. But the Lord stepped into the storm, and he said, what he say? I am. Don't be afraid. Be comforted. I'm here. <laughs> in other words, everything's going to be all right. When the Lord shows up, everything's going to be all right. Even though I'm toiling, even though I'm doing the best I can, and it seems like I'm getting nowhere, if I just have the Lord with me, everything is going to be good. Matthew explains a little further. He says the Lord was there, and, and then Peter called out of the boat and said, Lord, if it's you, then bid me to come to you on the water. And you all know the story. Jesus said, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. He gets on the water. Um, this must have been a fantastic experience because the water is up and down. I mean, the waves are going, the wind and I don't know, you know, what part he's stepping on and, and up and down, but he sees that and he realizes that he, uh, this, he's defying the laws of physics, that, that he's going to go down. And then he instantly begins to sink. Lord, save me! And Jesus reaches out and grabs him by the hand and saves him. Now, John didn't record this part, and I don't know why. He just didn't didn't bring it in there and but Matthew did and Matthew was there and so Matthew witnessed this and brought this and saw this and then it said that Jesus got in the boat and when he got in the boat John's going to record that immediately when he got in the boat that they were at land where they needed to be so a second miracle kind of took place okay and not just that that he was in the boat and the, and the waves and the winds didn't take him down. But immediately after he got in the boat, they found out, oh, hey, we're there. Which they were so afraid they probably didn't think about it that much. But, but now they're safe. They're on land. Thank the Lord. Amen. Jesus came through again. And it's been preached a lot of times that way. And, and I'm going to bring it. A little differently this morning because I don't believe it was just about a miracle. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of preachers that have confirmed uh, through this that Jesus has a power over the elements. Do you believe Jesus has power over elements? I absolutely believe that he does. It's his first sign and wonder, turning the water into wine, right? He showed by by not touching it, by, by just speaking to it, that that the water would obey him. 
Yeah, I'm reminded of the time also that he was asleep in the boat and the, and the winds and the waves came up and he came to the front and said, peace be still, and the water and the wind, they obey him. He has power over the elements. This connection would even go back to Moses, how that Moses turned the red or turned the uh, uh, the Nile River uh, by the power of God. It it was turned to blood, and so even connecting even way back then, God has power over these things. He is powerful. So Pharaoh didn't see the sign; he didn't receive it, and he wasn't moved by it, but. The disciples which saw Jesus turn the water into wine, remember it said, it revealed his glory and his disciples believed into him. Now, let me take something that that happened continually during Jesus' ministry. The Lord would give a sign and the, the religious folks would just pass it off. You know what they would say to him? Give us a sign. And the Lord would give them a sign, and they would just treat it like coincidence, that it really wasn't anything. And the next thing they would say is, give us a sign so we can believe. And so Jesus gets to the point where he says, this doubting generation, all they want is a sign. But leaving signs everywhere, and they would not believe him. I've seen it in church. I've seen the Lord touch people and heal people and strengthen people and bring their life out of a mess and show them the sign that that he loved them and wanted to help them and change them, but they would just pass it off. There's a reason why. The things of God are not understood in the fleshly realm. And so if we're looking for a physical sign to prove to us a physical Jesus. And that's what they were doing. Give us a physical sign so we can prove a physical Christ. But his signs are deeper than that. Paul go into that later. and says that spiritual things are not discerned by the mentality of our human being. The carnal mind. Everybody know what carnal is. The carnal mind or fleshly mind, physical mind, cannot understand the things of God. We can see a sign, but we only see it carnally. We don't see it spiritually. And so the Pharisees, which would continually come to him and say, we would see a sign, and he shows them a sign, and they don't even know it's a sign. Because they're looking for something in the the carnal that's going to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ. But everything in the revelation of Jesus Christ, comes in the spiritual. It doesn't come in the physical. The physical may show the sign, but then it'll come forth in your spirit through the Spirit of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't get it by seeing it. The world can see a sign. The world can see somebody healed. The world can see somebody raised from the dead. Remember Jesus talking to the man that about the man that found himself lifted up his eyes being in hell. And he, he told Father Abraham, he's, he's yelling over the gulf between them. Abraham's bosom, he said, send someone back to my brothers 
so they don't come to this place. Abraham said, listen, they've got Moses and the prophets, and if they don't believe them, they would not believe if somebody resurrected from the dead. Even if you saw somebody come back to life from the dead, that doesn't mean that you're going to get a revelation in your spirit. You understand what I'm saying? So you see a sign. You see a thing happen. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. And, and for about 15 minutes and maybe a few days, we're all excited about that. And then we forget all about it because it didn't impact our spirit. But the things that Jesus did, he didn't do to impact the fleshly mind. He did them to impact your spirit. Because we don't walk with him by the flesh. We don't know him by the flesh. We know him by the spirit. And so that our walk is not by sight. It's not by the things we see. It's not by the things we feel. For we walk not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And it is that faith inside of us that the Lord is trying to increase in us so that our faith in Him gets more reliant, more stronger, more dependent on Him all the time. And so He takes us to a place of testing. He takes us to a place where we're hurting, to a place where we can't help ourselves then he lifts us up out of that and it isn't just to lift us up it isn't just to make us feel better it isn't just to pat our pocketbook it's to show us that God alone is our provision that God alone is our healer he does it for a sign and a purpose in our life listen take Peter's confession I like this in Matthew 16 16 Jesus had asked them, who do men say that I am? And they said to him, some say that you're Elijah the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're a, you're a, a prophet. And, and Jesus turns to them and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter got anointed. Peter got an answer that wasn't out of the flesh. Peter got an answer that was out of the Spirit of God. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said unto him, Peter, this thing has not been revealed to you by flesh and by blood, but by my Father in the heavenly realm. There's something deeper about that revelation than he's just the Christ. He just needs to be the king. He just needs to be the one in Israel that we focus upon. It's greater than that. The revelation of Jesus Christ comes by the revelation of the Spirit in our life. And so this idea that Peter saw a lot of signs and he's going right along and seeing Jesus heal and seeing him raise people from the dead, cast out devils, and he sees all these signs, but it's not by flesh and blood. And I think the church has spent too much time dealing with flesh and blood. Come on. We've done too much trying to entertain the flesh, trying to persuade people. I am done trying to persuade people against their will to serve the Lord. There's something got to happen in your life. There's something got to take place in your life. God has got to put his hand upon you. There has to be an imprint somewhere in your life. I can't keep persuading people against their will to serve Jesus. There's got to be a drawing. There's got to be a sign. There's got to be an impulse. There's got to be something deeper than just getting up on a Sunday morning trying to talk people into serving Jesus. 
It's got to be felt. It's deeper than flesh and blood. Can you say amen? It goes beyond that. It goes beyond my mind. It goes, it gets down in my spirit. So that when things come up in my life, I, I realize, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this in the flesh. I know, okay, it's, we got a problem here, but, but my spirit is saying my connection. It's not with flesh and blood, but my connection is by the power of God in my life, by the spirit that lives in me. Can you say amen? So the religious of that day want to know signs visual signs so they can identify. But the Lord is going to give signs that are deeper than just the things about the flesh. Now, I believe that Jesus didn't do this just to astound his disciples and just wow them and make them excited that, oh, this great miracle happened. Well, it, was just, it was just awesome. He didn't just want them awestruck. And I am sometimes by what God can do. You'll be praying for a thing, and then, and then uh, all of a sudden God does it, and you're like, wow, wow. You mean that, that God turned that situation over? Oh, and it's an amazing thing, and, and we just take faith. Oh, wow, the Lord can fix all the things in my life. But there's something deeper. There's a deeper purpose for what Jesus does, and this this wasn't just to walk out there so all of his disciples could say, wow, Jesus, man, he can walk on water. This is awesome. There's something deeper than that because that's in the flesh. I'm wowed in the flesh. I'm amazed in the flesh. The whole big church effort, the whole mega stuff, the reason why we have mega this and that is because it impresses the flesh. It seems so big, so grand, so awesome. And I want to be a part of something mega, something big. And, and really, that's all becomes very fleshy because that doesn't minister to your spirit. And you can be involved in mega and you come into a trial in your life, you're going to go down right with the person that, that doesn't have the mega in their life. But hopefully, Jesus Christ will be strong enough in your life that really the exterior stuff isn't what's holding you in there, but really it's hearing a word of Christ in your life. Faith comes by hearing. Faith does not come by seeing a sign. Faith comes by hearing, Romans the 10th chapter, and by hearing a word of God. The ancient manuscripts had their, by hearing a word of Christ. So it's not just of God vaguely, but it's of God imminent in Christ Jesus. Come on. It's not just God out there somewhere. I heard a word of God. One of the pastors, Saddleback, has been for some time going around finding out what is common between the Christian church and the Islam movement. And he found out, well, we really have the same God. He's just called by another name. They use Allah 
and we use God, but really it's still the supreme being. And so, but I'm, I'm not going there this morning. I'm going to go to the identity of Christ Jesus because he is the one that we're worshiping here this morning. Somebody say amen. He's not just a vague God somewhere. And so when the Lord does this, does signs, he's going to introduce into these signs a word of Christ. This has been a principled doctrine. Faith comes by hearing a word of Christ. It didn't say since Calvary, since the ministry of Jesus. I believe it goes back into the Old Testament because Jesus said, there you will find that it's speaking of me. Faith in the Old Testament isn't about faith. Faith in the Old Testament isn't about just a God somewhere. Faith in the Old Testament is looking forward to the time when God would show who he is in the earth. And that ongoing revelation of God that lies in the Old Testament, it falls under this principle of hearing a word of Christ. And so during Jesus' ministry, they're still working in an old time. They, they have not yet come into the Christian church age, and they are still in an Old Testament time, and they are going to need still to hear a word of Christ. I'm going to tell you, let's just stop right here. If you haven't realized it yet, maybe you are relatively new to the church or maybe you haven't been here much at all. I, I just want you to understand something that we're doing here. We are preaching about Christ and Him crucified. We're preaching about Christ and Him being Lord of our life. We want to take away the mystery as much as we can. There has been a mystery, and, but Paul said the mystery of godliness has been revealed, and, and so we're trying to reveal. We're trying to take it and reveal it. Jesus is what we're preaching about in this house. He's, he's the Lord. He's the one. He's the Savior, and that one is the one that we're trying to reveal. So when we go to Scripture, we're not trying to reveal church. We're not trying to reveal all the actions that you need to do as a church person. What we're trying to reveal to you is Jesus Christ. You get that imprint in your spirit, everything else is going to follow. Come on, say amen. And so that's where we're at. That's our cry. That's our, that's our leader. That's our example. That's our model. He's our hero. Can you say Amen. So right in the middle of a bad situation, Jesus is going to come in there, and I'm telling you, it's the hardest time for us to get anything spiritual. Have you ever been sick and tried to pray? It's rough. Have you ever been broke and tried to pray? I remember Brother Curtis said he lost everything. He was about to lose his property. He said, I just put my head on the floor and said, God, help me. You know what else to do. It's not like, you know, oh, everything's great. Oh, this is awesome. God is awesome. I love you, Lord. I believe you. I trust you. I'm broke. Thank you. I'm sick. We never get to that place because that's, that in the natural is going to drive us down. But let me tell you what your fix is in a time of trouble and it looks like you're going down in a boat. A fix 
is not God just to heal the situation. The fix is I am. This is what he brings to the boat. This is what he's going to bring to the table. Not, hey, he could have kept them from ever going into that storm. He could have waited till the morning and said, disciples, just camp here overnight. In the morning, we're going to get in the boat and go across and everything would have been just right. But he puts them out there because he wants to bring something to them that will show them his greatness of who he is. And he gets to the boat and he brings it. I am. I am. That's what he brings. Now, KJV, King James Version, and many of the other versions will say, it is I. Be not afraid. No, not strong enough. One of them says, don't be afraid. I am here. That's good for the miracle if we're just talking about a miracle. That's good for identification if we're just talking about identification of who that phantom is. But that's not good enough for revelation. We're going to have to get into the text and what the text says for revelation. Because typically when we see a sign and a miracle, we want to take it to the flesh. And God wants to take it to the spirit in our life. When he comes in there saying, I am, I, I, I like this one here because what he says in the, the uh, Aramaic, uh, Aramaic, rather, Aramaic Bible in plain English, Aramaic, says this, but Yeshua said to them, listen, I am the living God. Don't be afraid. Out of all the list of Bibles that I read, most of them said, I'm here, don't be afraid. I am he, don't be afraid. But this Bible says, I am the living God. Don't be afraid. This is what he's going to bring into their situation. Not I'm the healer. Not I'm the fixer. Not I'm going to take care of your problems. But he's going to bring, I am the living God into your situation. Because believe me, you get over this problem, you're going to have another one. And you get over that one, and you're going to have another one. But the I am the living God is going to do something inside of you, not just exterior, not just your problem, not just fix your sickness. I am the living God is going to last you for an eternity. And so the difference is God fix me in the flesh or God fix me in the spirit. And I think the church needs to be fixed in the spirit. We've been fixing the flesh for a long time. And so now we're going to touch some revelation. Okay, I've been 30 minutes preaching about that. And now I've come to this, what God had to offer to the boat. I am the living God. Wow. So now let's go back, take a journey back to the first record of there even being a God. To the very first record. Somebody said, you know the oldest religion in the world is Hindu? Well, let's see. If we can get before Adam, then Adam was walking with God. So I don't know how Hindu got ahead of him. 
that we're going back all the way. We are all children of Adam. He come from Adam and Eve. Can you say amen? And so way back there, now we're going to have to go back to the beginning and this first record of there even being a God, and we don't know the, the, uh, the word God there, Elohim, and it, it just simply first person singular. Somebody said, no, it's first person plural. Elohim, first person plural. No, first person plural in manifestation, first person singular in person. The Hebrew people will tell you that. The Trinitarian people will tell you that there were other persons in God. But in the beginning, God, Yahweh, Yahweh in that word Yahweh, God, we sang it this morning, Yahweh. The word Yahweh. It's really a compound word without any vowels in it. Y-H-W-H. It's this self-existing one. The I am what I am. I will be what I will be. The progenitor, father of eternity. This is the definition, simple definition of Yahweh God. So in the beginning, Yahweh God Created the heaven and the earth. Yahweh God is that I am who I am. I exist because I exist. No one helps me. No one has put me in place. I am the self-existent, ever-existing, existent one. I am what I am. So in the beginning, I am God is creating the heaven and the earth. If you don't believe this basic truth, put the Bible down because you are not a candidate for any revelation about Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that over the last 10 or 15 years now, churches are morphing to this place where, well, we believe God was in creation, but also there were other factors, and there were other things involved, and I'm going to strip it away. I'm not really very smart. I'm not really a scientist. I don't have a lot of degrees, but I am going to do this. I'm placing my eternity on what God said, and so I might as well just go ahead and do it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's real simple for me. I don't need to bring in elements. I don't need to bring in a big bang somewhere out there. I don't need to have something to start with. God started with nothing. Can you say amen? And this I am God creates. He began to create. Now, now listen to this. Some of you are going to get this before I even get there. This, this I am God, in verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, Yahweh, I am Elohim, God. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And the word moved here really has some other definitions to it. It's not just moving, but it means to settle over. It means to hover over. It means to be upon in a verb form that God was upon the face of the deep in a verb 
form. But if we take him in an intangible, he hovered. He hovered over it. His spirit was over it. But if we take it in a tangible, he walked on it. And, and the thing is about this face of the deep, God is going to begin to create out of this. The I am is going to start showing his power in creation. But if you can get this revelation this morning that Jesus came walking on the water, it was the fourth watch of the night. Darkness was upon the face of the deep and the I am showed up. Let me tell you something. This is a recreation of the creation story of the earth. How that God hovered over the face of the deep. And I don't know what Jesus was doing when he was walking. Maybe he was just hovering. He was coming towards them. But it is an exact copy of what I am did in the first place. He will come to do. He will show his glory. Who is he? Who is he? He is the king of glory. He is the great I am. Somebody say amen right there. Wow. And so maybe it wasn't all about showing that he could walk on water. Maybe he was connecting himself as the only begotten son who is the expression of the tangible image of the eternal spirit of God that same I am who was creating in the beginning was now walking on it and comes to them and says I am the living God wow there are so many that say Jesus never claimed to be God that's because you're seeing the surface level. That's because you're seeing the physical level. Because a prophet can heal, right? Elijah, didn't he heal folks? Yeah. A prophet could raise people from the dead. Didn't Elijah raise up people from the dead? But that's all visual. That's all surface. But when he shows up in the thing and says, I... Let's just take the blinders off this morning. I am the living God. You talk about a sign. And this sign is not just to reveal that he has power over elements. But this sign is to reveal the connection of the very beginning of humanity. Of way back before there was a heaven. Before there was an earth. There was an I am. And Jesus will connect himself to that. And I don't know how we can miss the sign and walk right by it. But I'm telling you this. If you don't see the sign, Jesus will walk right by your boat. He'll keep right on going. He's looking for folks that are going to reach out and take the sign of who he is. And he'll walk by it. And you can be in church for 30 years. You can be in church for 50 years. And he'll walk right by you if you never take the sign of who he is. Wow. So for centuries, preachers have looked at the miracle instead of the in-your-face sign of who Jesus really is. You know there's a great debate in Christianity even about the deity of Jesus Christ. Great debate. Always has been. 
They're looking for a sign. And he walked right by them. He got to the boat, but they didn't want to hear, I am the living God. Say, yeah, Jesus never said he was God. You're reading a different Bible than what I'm reading. I'm going to close. We got to go to Sacramento. So we got to hurry up here. We got to hurry up. Hurry, hurry, hurry. So Arius, the third century clergyman. This debate goes back to the point of when they were in the boat. The debate of who Jesus is. It's no wonder that Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Because they don't see it on the level of who he really is. Somebody said, Pastor, you know, why do you make such a big deal about, you know, uh, the whole theology of God and, and all that? Because the scripture makes a big deal about it. You need to know who you're serving. Let's, let's, let's take all the mystery out of this thing. Well, I'm serving a God. I don't know who he is. No, you got the wrong one. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the rock of all ages. Can you say amen? He's, a, he's the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And he's more than that, my friend. So this third century clergyman, I'm going to call him a clergyman. He was a pastor and sort of a theologian. Theologian. And he was right in this. I want you to listen to this statement that he made. He said, if the father begat a son, he that was begotten had a beginning of existence. That makes sense to me, right? If something is born, it has a start. It begins. And then he says, now, from this it is evident that there was a time when the son was not. The son, S-O-N, was not. I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm exactly with him. I'm going to go back to Genesis 1, and I don't find a son. I don't find a son until John 1, called the only begotten. That's where I find the son. I don't find him in the Old Testament. I find him looking forward to a word of Christ. But I don't find him anywhere in an Old Testament time. Well, Pastor, you know, he was always, no, no, wait a minute. If he was begotten, then there is a beginning of existence. And it's evident from that statement that there was a time when the son was not. Now, I believe that Arius got some revelation, but he stopped short. Because then he began to think that, that Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten, was actually not even deity. He was only a created being. But this flies in the face of what we just said. It flies in the face of those disciples in a boat and Jesus shows up and says, I am the living God. It flies in the face 
of all the pages in the Old Testament, all the prophets of the Old Testament, all the reporters in the New Testament, all those that wrote epistles and gospels in the New Testament. It flies in the face of that. So Arius had a thought, but he stopped wrong. So John, though, in his explanation says, in the beginning was the Logos of God. Not the word. In the beginning was God's thought and purpose and concept and what he was planning to do. And then having already predetermined the incarnation of God as a begotten son. Man, I don't hear this preached too much. Well, you must be the oddball. I guess I am. I'll take it on. I've been odd in some things anyway. Well, you really believe that, that then that the son was, was not in heaven? No, that's right. Because for the purposes of God revealing himself in the earth, there is an incarnate body that is inspired in birth by the power of the Holy Spirit of God in Mary's womb. And that thing which comes forth will be called the Son of the Most High. This isn't another work of the flesh. This isn't another persuasion of the flesh. This is the power of God demonstrated in the earth. Now, we've got this big program, and I didn't watch it. I haven't watched it. I probably won't watch it, but it comes on late on Saturday night. It's probably one of the reasons why I don't watch it. And it's about those program, When Heaven Invades Earth. But it's all about signs. It's all about prophecy. It's all about that stuff. But when heaven invades earth, it's going to be in the bodily form of God incarnated in Christ Jesus. And he's going to hit this earth. And he's going to live in this earth and tabernacle in this earth as God Almighty in flesh. That's when heaven invaded earth. Everybody say amen. And what Jesus does as signs is to prove that very fact. That heaven, that God of eternity invaded the earth. And so there was not a son of God in Genesis 1, but that process was set in motion by the very act that the earth was out for, without form and void and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the deep. Let's start this thing. We've got it planned. We've got it purposed. In the logos and mind of God. Now let's start this thing now. And the Spirit of God begins to develop on the face of the deep the absolute entrance of what would be I am in the flesh, Christ Jesus. Don't shout too loud now. We'll get into the good stuff. And and uh, now I'm gonna you're not gonna find this. And I and I told Rodney the other day, I said, why is it that over the thousands of years we have every kind of commentary and every kind of translation, every kind of version, but none of them have anything to do with the oneness of Christ? Nothing. There isn't anything. Go on your computer, you know, a few people here and there got a few things, you know, and maybe have a few studies. Very little. There's no Bible. You can pick it up. and So I'm going to read you something this morning. 
And this, this is going to be from Pastor Rod translation. For right or wrong, you make the choice. I mean, but this, if the logos of God, the logos of God is not him. The logos of God is it. Part of the, the self-reflective autos is her, him, and it. And so this self-reflective pronoun here, I'm going to put it in there. And I want you to just listen to this reading, okay? It's John 1 and 2. This was in the beginning. And the this there is from verse 1. The logos of God was in the beginning. Inside of God. All things came into being because of it. And without it, not even one thing came into being. And then verse 14, and the logos, it, became flesh and tabernacled among us. I'm going to go to Colossians 1 because Paul writes this thing. and says, it says the logos or the son of God, the logos, the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation because to him, were all things created, and all things have been created because of him and for him, and he is before all things, and all things in him are held together or consist. Let me tell you something. This world is not about you. You're on this thing as a free ride, a gift. I'll ask Brother Herman, how are you doing today? He said, I woke up breathing. Everything else was a bonus. And that's the truth. We've got so humanistic in our theology that we think it's all about us. It's not about you. It never was about you. It has always been about him. It's always been about his glory. It's always been about his revelation. It's always been about his power. It's always been about him self-revealing himself to humanity, it's never stopped. It's always been he holds all things together and he holds them together by the power of his word. Can you say amen? It's an awesome thing. So here's the sign. And seeing him walking on the sea, the disciples were troubled saying, it is a phantom. And out of fear, they cried out, and immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be comforted. I am. Do not fear. This, this fear, do not fear, goes further than just the grave. In fact, I think the Lord said you should fear the one who can put your body and soul in hell. So I'm not fearing the elements. I'm not fearing death. Because yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am is still there. I can't fear what men can do unto me, Paul says. I won't fear what men can do unto me. So fear has no place with God. Can you say amen? Fear has torment. 
Somebody talked about this just the other day. We're not living in fear. We're living in the comfort of I am. Well, I'll tell you what. I woke up the other day, and I was thinking, you know, I was praying in the morning, and I, and I was thinking, wow, I just got excited. I thought, Lord, I didn't do anything to get where I am. It's what you have done in me. Lord, I didn't earn this thing. I didn't earn salvation, but it's what you have done in me. Oh, God, you are the great one. My sufficiency is not about me. If, if I had to earn it, then, then certainly my sufficiency would be about myself. But it's not about me. It's about him. It's about his great grace. It's about his knowledge of who he is and what he is and what he has done for us. Can you say amen? I'm stopping right here. Many ancient religions worshipped the sun. S-U-N. They believed that the sun had the, the value of life, the source of life came from out of the sun. Well, let me get the figure right. They were 92.4 million miles away from the truth. Because real life took residency upon the earth. And all you're going to have to do is just change one letter. Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. And that one letter change is going to bring you to the real source of life. And we're going to worship him as such. Can you say amen? I worship you, Jesus. Musicians, would you come? And we're just going to sing something at the end here. I just, you know, this isn't like a sermon that you would call, hey, I scared everybody to death, and now we're going to make an altar call and, and try and beg people into the altar. It's not about that. 